0: Have you ever wanted to become a podcaster and just don't know how to get started? Let me give you a hint. Anchor. Yes, use Anchor. They have the tools to help you from music beds to music sounders to recording your podcast. And Anchor will take your podcast and distribute it to different podcast platforms too. All you have to do is set up an Anchor account and then you just get started podcasting. And did I tell you it's free? Check out Anchor.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, in just a few moments, we start our daily broadcast. Who listens to radio? radio, 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 radio.
0: Hi, I'm Dave Denton. I'm a radio guy and even went by that name on the air in Missouri. This is Radio Guy Reflections. Radio Guy Reflections is brought to you by daysvoiceworks.com. You spell works, W-O-R-X. You'll find my podcasts, like Turnbuckle Trash, all about professional wrestling, 3W News, which is just some kind of crazy news that affects us every day, and, of course, Radio Guy Reflections. There's examples of some of my work on the radio and with commercials, and also some uh, narrations I've done in the past. There's celebrity interviews, pictures of my career, and more, and, uh, well, coming, coming soon, make some plans for the Halloween trick-or-treat special. You will not believe how much fun this is to play when trick-or-treaters are coming to your house or when you're having your own Halloween party. That's coming up in October here on DaysVoiceWorks.com. Past guests on Radio Guy Reflections include the great Rod Arquette of KRNS in Salt Lake City, Utah. He's a program director and also an afternoon talk show host. We've had Richard Buckley who started in the legendary Pirate Radio in Great Britain, and now he is working and running a station in Thailand, south of Bangkok. We've had Scott Girard, the play-by-play voice of the Utah State Aggies, Carrie and Carrie Kelly, a husband-and-wife morning team in New Mexico, and our last broadcast was Bart Herbison, the president of the Nashville Songwriters Association. Today's guest is a man I met 27 years ago, when I became the PD at KGNT-FM, the country giant in Logan, Utah. He was blessed and still is blessed with the tremendous voice, but boy, he was just a little bit green when I came in. He went on to become a news anchor at Channel 2 in Boise and also worked at Channel 8 in Idaho Falls. And now we're going to talk to a man who's married with five kids. Three of those kids, by the way, are triplets. Let's talk to my friend Shaw Merrill. How are you doing, Shaw?
1: I am fantastic, Dave. I don't, I don't deserve that kind of an intro, but I can't believe it's been twenty-seven years since uh, we met and had all those good times at the Giant.
0: Yeah, I, I remember, and, and I, I'm going to tell the little story here about you when I came huh. in uh, to do the job interview. I realized that you guys had had people coming in and out and everything. And you probably were looking at me and saying, "Who is this big, fat, southern-looking boy?" Uh, coming in to tell us how to do this, but your voice always stood out to me, and I thought you had a tremendous talent, but once again, just like everyone who was there, you were green, but your big difference was you listened to what I was trying to do to help you become a better announcer, and I I wanted to uh, say thank you for that because we went on when uh, Sherry took over doing the news and morning show show, host duties with mm-hmm. me in the morning i think you were doing afternoon drive if i'm not mistaken at that time that is correct and yeah. To uh, seven yeah and we went on to have this station in little logan utah just killing it a little standalone fm station going against uh two stations that were well established and there were months when we outbuild them and we did really well and you were a big part of that shot thank you
1: I appreciate the compliment. You're very kind.
0: Yeah, so it was, uh,
1: it, it was a good time. Well, good we time.
0: we had some good people working for us too during that time frame, and I think the big thing was that Absolutely. we all liked each other, and we and above that, we respected each other and, and the talents we had. And you were one of those that I had a great deal of talent. But also, when you would ask me questions or I'd give you advice, you always seemed to uh, try to put that into your presentation. of what you did, and it was. It was greatly appreciated. So that's just from me to you.
1: Well, thank you. You mentioned I was green, and boy, let me tell you, I was young back then.
0: You had a lot more hair, too. (laughs) I had a lot more hair and a lot less
1: gut, that's for sure.
0: Oh, I I know the gut thing. I guarantee you that. (laughs) Sean, you grew up in Cache Valley. Is that correct?
1: Uh, Yeah, I moved to Cache Valley when I was a freshman in high school. Okay. So I moved here the end of my freshman year and attended Logan High School.
0: And uh, your family is uh, you know, well-established in Utah. Uh, mm-hmm. you, uh, your real name, uh, first name, is Mariner. Is that correct?
1: That is correct.
0: And you go by M. Shaw Merrill. And I remember I used to kid you all the time because I'm the big <laughs> comic book geek. I'd always call you Sub. Uh, and yep. so, <laughs> yes, so, you did. So I won't call you Sub anymore, Shaw, but uh, <laughs> I had to get that in there. So, uh, what got made you start thinking about uh, journalism and broadcasting when you uh, were starting to think about that thing as you as you grew older?
1: There was a gentleman at the high school. His name, he's still there. Um, his name is Larry Comadina. Oh, yeah. And he was my psychology teacher. Um, to give you an idea, I you know when I was a senior in high school, I looked like I was twelve years old, mm-hmm. and I had this voice, and so people would look at me and go. That voice can't possibly be coming out of that little kid over there. Tom Medina saw me in in class and heard my voice. And he came up to me and he said, have you ever thought about working in radio? And until that point, it had never crossed my mind. And he suggested that. And I thought, huh, that would be an interesting direction to go. Mm -hmm. Quite honestly, at the time, I was seriously thinking about becoming a pilot. Hmm. And he made that suggestion. And I thought, oh. That sounds like a lot of fun. I didn't know how to pursue it until um, I took a girl on a date, and her father ran the Utah State Sports Radio Network.
0: Hmm. And
1: uh, I took her on a date, and then the following Monday, she came to school and said, my dad wants to talk to you.
0: Did that and scare I, you to death or what? Oh,
1: I was so scared because I thought, what did I do? I didn't even kiss her goodnight. I, you know, I was really a gentleman. I opened the door for her. I came to the front door to pick her up. You know, I, all these things were running through my mind. What did I do? And so I met him at his office. And back in the, in that time, his office was in a building that was shared also with an advertising paper called the Big Nickel. Mm-hmm. And I showed up at his office. And he made me sweat bullets for five or 10 minutes, interviewing me about his daughter and our date. And after a few minutes, he looked at me and he goes, have you ever thought about working in radio? And I looked at him and I said, excuse me? And he said, have you ever thought about working in radio? And I said, actually, yes, I have. And he said, great, you're hired. And I said, I'm, I'm hired. What are you talking about? And he says, I run the Utah State Sports Radio Network, and I would like to hire you to run the behind-the-scenes stuff for me during the games and our sports talk shows and the various things we have going on. Would you be interested? And I said, absolutely. And that started my journey into journalism. That was my uh, junior, senior year in high school. And from then, I thought, you know, I'm going to pursue that when I go to Utah State. And and so I pursued that, graduated in broadcast journalism. And that was the whole start to everything.
0: Now, at that time, uh, that group, were they running uh, the the radio station or just doing... The network stuff.
1: At that time, they were just broadcasting the games and the sports talk show. So we had Baba Poon, Mm -hmm. who was at that time the voice of the Aggies. So he was doing the play-by-play and he was doing the sports talk shows. And so I was the guy in the background who was turning the mics on and off and getting people on the phone for the shows and getting the the games set up with the satellite and uh, getting everything connected, which is way easier now than it was back then. Yeah. Um, but I, I did all that stuff in the background and it was just, just the games and the, and the talk shows. Now I worked for Steve Skinner for, um, I want to say it was about two years. And then I left for a mission for uh, my church Mm -hmm. for two years. And when I came back, uh, Steve found me and said, Hey, come talk to me. So I went back to his office, talked to him and he said, Hey, I want to hire you again. Oh, and by the way, we've now acquired a radio station, and uh, I want to put you on the air. Yeah. And, you know, talk about being green. I was like, oh, what does that mean? What do I do? I, you know, I've done all the behind-the-scenes stuff, but I, I don't know what to do. So it was really starting green doing stuff, but it was a lot of fun.
0: And, uh, you could really tell that when I got here uh, with my, (laughs) (laughs) no, I I honestly, I'm going to tell the story when, when, when I was hired, uh, I was, uh, had just moved to Utah from being a part owner of a radio station in Missouri. And I was doing some part-time work in Salt Lake City. And, uh, I was just looking for some full-time work. I was newly engaged and, my now wife, uh, Teresa, who's in the other room right now, listening to this story. Love you. <laughs> and uh, she awesome. she had somebody came up come up to her and ask for some uh, some work with their resume because they were looking for work, and she said just flippantly, you know, hey, if you hear anybody radio, uh, you know, let me know. Well, later that afternoon, this guy contacts her. She contacts me. I contact Logan, Utah to the Country Giant. I'm up here the next morning for my interview. And it it lasted literally all day long. (laughs) And, I mean, I had lunch with uh, Steve and them. Then Steve and Marlene uh, took Teresa and I out to dinner. Uh, He said he knew he was going to uh, hire me, going to offer me the job from just basically walking in the door. I said, "Boy, you you don't know what you're getting into," but <laughs> it was the next morning, and I'm leaving. And there's a little area of Logan that where the highway splits off, called the Triangle, and uh, I'm going to Salt Lake City. And I and I'm not going to say the people that were on the air because who knows they might hear this, but <laughs> it was their morning team, and they were horrible. They were horrible. There was no life. There was nothing to this show. It was dull. There was nothing local about it. It was just, it was, it was green. Okay. And I remember saying to myself, what have I gotten myself into? Well, I had already taken the job. I mean, I was going to be coming one way or another. And then when I got here and I got to know everybody, I don't think I was on the air for the first two weeks. I think all I did for the first two weeks was listen to the other stations in the market and then listen to the people that were I was going to work with and see what their strengths and weaknesses were. And I heard your voice, of course, and I said, well, you know, I can work with this guy. And, <laughs> and we worked together very well. But to tell you how bad it was, if you'll remember this, because it was a major produ- uh, promotion that you guys were doing. It was a Tim McGraw concert, and uh, oh, you had yes. some you had some uh, backstage passes for yes. listeners to go to Tim McGraw. Well, you'd already had the concert. You were running the follow up promo ads, which you should have done, but they were so dull. They were using, "Don't take the girl." Well, that doesn't mm-hmm. start any excitement for the listeners to say, <laughs> "What a cool station this is," you know. So that was one of the things I had to come in and and talk to you guys about. And I think I probably rubbed some people the wrong way. Well, we know I rubbed some people the wrong way because I was saying, we want this to be an exciting station. We want it to be fun. We want our listeners to understand that we're fans, too, of the country music that we're playing. And then it happened. About the time that I got married, the day before I got married, I was fired everybody at the station was fired. Do you remember this?
1: I do remember that we came in and in our boxes we each had a pink slip and mm-hmm. I was scared to death.
0: Mm-hmm. And you got the same I talk I slip. did. They said I absolutely did. Yeah, you're you're going to get rehired. But it was a way for them to get rid of some people who yep. were um cancerous, to, to say the least. They were yeah, bad yep, for yeah, go ahead.
1: Right. Yeah, they were they weren't uh providing the best uh, image for the station.
0: Right. And the image of the station was bad. The the on-air presentation was bad. I think you, mm-hmm. myself, uh, and Sherry wasn't working with us at the time, but no, there might have been Baba Poon, and there was just maybe one uh-huh. or two others that were automatically hired back, and then we had to go get another staff. Well, I get married two days later, and I go on my honeymoon – and I come back not knowing whether I'm gonna have a job, although I did know. <laughs> but from that mo- moment, we became a team. We became a family, to be honest with you. We liked We became family.
1: we became pretty tight. Pretty yeah.
0: Close. Yeah, and we had a lot of fun. Uh you you helped us uh get Kayleen hired because you were doing a remote. She do you was remember awesome. that story? Yeah.
1: I do. Yeah, she was awesome. She came up, she came up at the remote to talk to us. If I remember correctly. Yeah.
0: And then she came I mean, out to the radio station and we hired her and, yep. and what a talent. I mean, she was such a great talent. She's awesome. Yeah. Now she's living amazing. in Oklahoma, she's doing real estate and has done mm-hmm. marketing and all kinds of things. Kayleen. Hi, we still love you. Eh. And I still uh, have yeah. your Colin Ray poster, Kayleen, if you want that. She was a big <laughs> Colin Ray fan, That's awesome. but you stayed with us for a little while longer. You got married and then, uh, I guess it was right after you graduated. You wanted to get into television broadcasting.
1: That's correct. And
0: and how did that that happen for you? Did you apply? Did, did somebody have a connection? How did that happen? And which TV station did you first work for?
1: Uh, it's a little bit of uh, all of the above. So when I was going when I was working at the Giant, I was also going to school to Utah State, and I graduated in broadcast journalism. And my plan was always to pursue a career in TV journalism. And so when I graduated, I had to face a decision. And that decision was, do I stay at the Giant? Because if you'll remember, Dave, at the time, they were talking to me about uh, taking a different uh, position on air Mm -hmm. at the Giant. And so I just, I had to make a decision. Do I pursue my career here with the radio station or do I take a leap of faith and try and do something with TV news? Right. Well, I quickly discovered when I graduated that you face a catch 22 going into the broadcast arena and market where, you know, you start applying for jobs and they come back and say, well, we want some with experience. And you're like, well, you're a small market and I need to get a job in that market to get the experience but you won't let me have the job without the experience. So it was, it was really tough to kind of get your foot in the door. So um, I had a connection uh, for someone who knew some people at KSL, uh, Channel 5 in Salt Lake City. Right. And I called him up and said, hey, is there any way you can help me get an appointment with the news director, the station manager, someone at KSL, so I can at least come and talk to them about doing an internship? I knew there was no way... Because they're, uh, they're at the time, they were a 31, 32 size market. If you know how TV journalism works, every market is numbered by its size. And so, you know, of course, the largest markets are one and the smallest, you know, get bigger and bigger. So um, they were a, a larger market at the time. And I knew there was no way I could get a job there. But I thought if I could get my, my foot in the door and at least get an internship, then that would help me get my experience so I could get a job. So I went down. And I, well, I first submitted a, an audition tape, which is what you do. And you literally have about five to 10 seconds with that tape for them to make a decision to have you come in and go further or not. Right. They'd pop it back those, in those days, it was a VCR. They'd pop it in the VCR. If they saw something they liked in the first five seconds, they would keep watching for a minute. If they didn't, they'd pop it out and throw it away.
0: Right. And that happens in radio uh, too, so.
1: Yep. Happens in radio too and very cutthroat, very competitive, which is great because it makes you work harder. Um, So I made it through that process and then they had me come down and do an interview. And I interviewed um, with, uh, and now I just lost his name. He was one of the main anchors there at KSL at the time. And he asked me, his only questions to me were all about current events. Well, thanks to how you had trained us, Dave, and working in the radio, I was all up to date on current events because we needed to be up to date on current events so we could talk about them mm. as we were doing things on air. And so I knew everything that was going on and could answer all of his questions. And he said, okay, great. He said, I want you to start, you know, next week, or whatever you can come down and you'll shadow a reporter and the reporter will put their story on the news and you can put yours on your audition tape for the next job you want to apply for. So I went and did that for several weeks, driving down to Salt Lake every day. And, uh, put together a new audition tape that showed a lot more experience and a lot more stories and a lot more different things that I was able to do and got my first job in Idaho Mm -hmm. in in the Idaho falls market for channel eight K I F I. And they hired me as a general assignment reporter. And my salary was $16,000 a year.
0: Making Which the big even, bucks, huh?
1: Even back then was nothing.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And uh, the interesting story with that was I went to interview for that job. And I interviewed at the main station. And then they said, we want you to go interview with Keith Frank, who ran the bureau in Pocatello. They said, well, we want you to go talk to Keith in Pocatello. So I drove down to Pocatello, was interviewing with Keith. And he knew right away he wanted to hire me. And we got talking and, and he's asking about my family. And he says, you know, how are things going? You're, you're married and stuff. And I said, yeah. And as a matter of fact, my wife's at the hospital right now getting ready to give birth to our first child. <laughs> and he said, well, what in the world are you doing here? And I said, well, Keith, I've got to have a job to pay for that kid. So
0: <laughs> I gave awesome. here to interview
1: to get a job. So he kicked me out the door and said, you get home to your wife right now. So I drove really fast back to Logan. Made it back in plenty of time to get to the hospital and and have a kid. And literally the next day they faxed me the contract, and I signed the contract with Channel 8
0: and started my new job two weeks later. With really very little experience. I mean, Very
1: uh, little. Just a few weeks at KSL, really, and my education at Utah State, and that was it.
0: So as a general reporter, you were assigned stories, or did you have to look out for your own stories and go get them? Both. Uh
1: So it depended on the day you would have a news meeting in the morning and they would discuss the major events that were going on and what angles each person was going to handle and, and different things. But being in the Pocatello Bureau, we were responsible for coming up with those stories for Southeast Idaho, South of Idaho Falls. And so quite often we were trying to come up with our own stories and interesting things that were happening in the communities around Mm -hmm. you know part of that was you know you're listening to police scanners and some of that uh, stuff that happens and you're doing stories on those but uh yeah we had to come up with our own own stories and own ideas and in that area i shot my own video so i was my own cameraman i would come back edit my own story write my own story record my own audio and then set up my own live shot by myself in the studio in Pocatello and then do a live shot with the news station in Idaho Falls during the news. Mm-hmm. And then take it all down at the end of the day. And you would do two or three or four stories a day depending on what was going on.
0: A lot of there's smoke a lot of and Yeah.
1: A lot of smoke. But it was a lot of fun. And
0: yeah. And
1: let me tell you, I could not have done it without the training I got at the Giant honestly oh, because well back in those days we had to cut and splice right right we didn't have these digital stuff to do stuff on the computer we had a reel-to-reel machine and mm-hmm. we had to play with it you know to the right <laughs> point on the audio and you'd literally have to take a razor blade and cut it and then tape it together and some of those skills and and, and the different things that you taught me were what really helped me transition into that broadcast arena for tv news so i was green and i didn't have a lot of experience in tv news but i had a lot of experience knowing what to do on the air because of my experience at the giant
0: yeah i think we even uh were trying to get you guys to help out uh, because we had you doing some news at times if i yeah. remember right yeah
1: i helped yeah i helped sherry from time to time on the news and and uh with a few different things yeah
0: yeah about the time that we hired sherry rice I was doing the morning show, and then we, uh, the the guy that was doing the news during my show, wasn't quite working out, and there was some personality issues, and, and mm-hmm. but we hired Sherry. That's when that station took off, and I
1: remember, Sherry, we were, yeah, she was great, she wasn't a, she? She did a great job. Uh huh. Great job with the news.
0: And that was the, the I think the I think the thing that if I look back on what we did as a station now we were what was termed a full service station and that meant that we had features at the half hour but that's the way the ownership wanted it It wasn't necessarily something that i wanted we had the Osgood files we had a little five minute feature at the bottom of each hour news at the top of the hour wasn't necessarily something that i wanted but that's what the ownership wanted and i remember telling you guys that's why we do what we do and i even had to remember to to show you guys how to back time a song to go yep. into the top of the hour news live. Cause yep. you know, you'd be playing, don't take the girl, but Tim McGraw and all of a sudden here comes CBS evening news. You know, I'm going, yep. Come on! it was like a train wreck, but you guys, you guys <laughs> learned. I mean, it was, it was so we, we did some little tricks there to help you out too, with the stuff that I learned. to. Well, I,
1: I can remember every once in a while, you'd lose track of exactly what time it was. You weren't paying attention. And all of a sudden you're like,
0: Oh no. Uh-huh. you hear
1: that bong, and then you go into the news. It was like, oh, man.
0: I'd always tell you guys. i to hear it
1: from Dave on that one.
0: Fifteen minutes <laughs> before the top of the hour, you start planning. That's what I, I yep. pounded into you guys every time. Yep, all the time. So how long were you doing this in Idaho Falls before you moved over to Boise, Idaho? So
1: I worked in Idaho Falls for about two years. And I started as a general assignment reporter, so mm-hmm. I would do just about everything and then they had me start doing some of the weather on the morning show Mm. and then they moved me to doing weather on the weekend show so i had the experience of of doing all the reports for the main news and then jumping in and doing the weather and that's totally different because now i've got to go figure out a weather forecast and you've got a time slot of three minutes or four minutes or five minutes or whatever your segment is for the weather. And you've got to fill that. Yeah. And the trickiest part I learned doing the weather was you would be getting near the end of your segment and the end of your forecast. And all of a sudden the cameraman would be sitting there pulling his, his hands apart, stretching, saying, yeah. stretch it, stretch it. Stretch. Because they having... You know, they're having technical issues with the next story or something like that. They can't get the tape queued up or something. And so they're wanting you to take another 20 or 30 seconds or minute or whatever. And all of a sudden, you've got to come up with stuff just out of the air to talk about the forecast and what's coming up and what's going on so that you can fill the time because you're live on the air. And you can't just say, okay, I'm done.
0: And <laughs> then when you're was. talking southeast Idaho... You can get some wicked weather to talk about during the the winter. We
1: had some fun ones. We had some fun ones, that's for sure.
0: So as you're doing that, you decide that that it's time to to possibly move on, or did you get a job offer from the station in Boise?
1: Well, in TV news, if you want to make more money, you really have to keep moving up market to market to market, getting to larger and larger markets or you can make more money, more money and and make a comfortable living. And so that's why we moved to Boise. So when my contract was nearing an end in Idaho Falls, I put together a new audition tape and a resume and started to shop myself out there to all sorts of different places. And uh, the station in Boise called me up and had me come in for an interview. And um, I, I remember the morning, I met with the news director there. He came and picked me up at my hotel, and and we went back to the station. And I had a an interview for an hour or two, and uh, then he took me around the city for a little bit. And um, I loved Boise, beautiful place, just loved it. And I kept thinking, I don't know, I don't know if they're going to offer me this job. And by the end, he was like, We're going to offer you the job. I'll I'll put the paperwork together. And I said, Okay. Wow. And they they hired me to be the morning anchor, one of the morning anchors. Um, When I started over there, so wow,
0: that, it was that's a lot an of important really time slot mornings. too.
1: Really early mornings. How oh my how how
0: early were they?
1: Oh my goodness! Oh, dark thirty. So we we used to have to be to the station by like uh, usually three o'clock or so a.m. Mm.
0: That means early, then, early to bed too.
1: Oh yeah, and then you're usually there at least through the middle of the day, if not beyond that, because. Depending on what stories or news happened overnight, you have to write some follow-up stories for the anchors to read for the evening news. Right. So you're still there for a while.
0: So So. I I was going to ask you, and since I never really worked TV, I I did a couple of TV commercials. I did Mm -hmm. some voice work for a couple of TV stations in Tennessee, but I never really was part of a team. To do a newscast on a television station is more of a team than working in radio. Tell us some of those differences that you had to deal with.
1: Well, my experience at the Giant, while we work together as a team, when you're on air on my shift from 2 to 7, it's really just you, right? Right. Um, Yeah, you're playing off the other DJs before and after you. And you're playing off the music and stuff that's, that's there and, and the different programs you have playing. But it's really just you. Um, whereas working in TV news, you've got a whole team of people that have to work together in concert for that broadcast to happen. So you've got reporters that are putting stories together and they're writing stories that some of them are just going to be read by the anchors some of them are going to be a live shot and you put together what's called a package, which is the reporter then records the story and they do a live shot, you know, like for example, you're doing bad traffic on I-15 or whatever. And so you're doing a live shot on an overpass and then you've got a package in between. That's the story you shot during the day that you've recorded the audio on. And so you've got all that plus your technical team back in the station who is hitting play on all of these tapes and and microphones and which cameras got to go on at which time plus whoever's running the prompter and you've got someone who's putting all the scripts together in the prompter for the anchors and in that script it's got to tell the anchors which which camera are you looking at for this story so they know what they're doing And so there's a there's a whole lot of moving parts to put on a news cast versus what we were doing. And we, we experienced some of that when we're doing a live a live broadcast, right? Right. Because you had to have a couple of you out there at the broadcast, setting up equipment and running stuff, plus whoever's back at the station, running the equipment back at the station, helping you get on the air. And so that required a team of people working together to make that happen. And so the the news, that was really the biggest difference was I went from, you know, because the majority of the time you're doing just your your shift, two to seven. I was the two to seven in the afternoon. And, you know, it's just you on air. Uh, whereas with TV news, it's it's you and your photographer going to do this story, but then you're getting back and you're having to coordinate with everybody to get it to work with everything else because you've got a certain time slot that that story has to fit into. You know, oh, Shaw, you've only got, a minute for that story today, or you've got a minute and a half, and so you've got to make it fit in that minute and a half. All
0: right, that's tough. Mm-hmm. So I was going to ask you two questions then, and uh, you know, uh, you've got a lot of pressure. Uh, let's talk, especially when you're putting <laughs> together a thirty-minute or an hour-long uh, newscast. There's a lot of pressure that I don't think a lot of people really mm-hmm. realize. But you also, besides that pressure. You've got to like the people that you work with. And sometimes personalities do clash. Did you ever have times when someone you had to work with and smile at, at you know, when you're on the air that you weren't really happy with at that time?
1: Oh, heavens no, Dave. I oh. love everybody and everybody loved me. Oh, I, don't know I what bet. You're I bet.
0: Yeah. I love uh, you too.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you big luck. Um, absolutely. So, and I'll give you an example. Um, I really didn't experience that much in Idaho Falls at this station. Everybody I worked with there um, was really, really good. And we really had a good time and worked together a lot closer like we did at the Giant. When I moved to Boise, there was a lot more um, conflicts with personalities. Mm-hmm. And one of those was with my co-anchor on the morning show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You couldn't have had two more opposite people than her and I, mm-hmm. um, here you have this white boy from Utah and she was a little skinny Hawaiian girl. And, um, you know, I won't tell you what she would try and do to me during the newscast, but she always, how she would try and do it. Her goal was to, during the commercial breaks, do something that would make me so embarrassed that I would come back on air red faced. Oh. That's what she, she would always try and do that. And uh, so it always got a little bit, you know, tricky to to keep that under control. And I remember they hired a weather girl for the morning show. And let me tell you, my co-anchor and that weather girl did not get along at Ooh. all. Oh, I mean, wow. they fought and argued off air all the time, constantly. But when they were on the broadcast, boy, they turned it on. And, and they had smiles and they said, you know, hey, thank you so much. That's That was a great forecast looks like we're going to have some beautiful weather today thank you very much so and so and they would continue on like nothing was going on and then they would get off you know that the news broadcast would end and boy they were just at each other again and it was it was interesting and in sometimes but there's a lot of you have to learn how to turn it on and off mm-hmm. uh, especially when you're live on air um because viewers see that they 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 know what's going on they're you know they see what's happening
0: And I always, uh, I've had this with a lot of conversations that I've had with people that I've worked with. And one of the things that I told them, and I know I told you was to smile. And I'm sure you got that a lot on the TV too, huh?
1: I'll never forget that. Uh, (laughs) I remember you telling me that smile and people will sense that through the broadcast. Right. And they do. And I remember you telling my first thought when you said that was like, oh, come on. (laughs) But it was true.
0: Who is it this fat boy from Tennessee telling me? <laughs> yeah,
1: it, it was absolutely true. And awesome. and it was the same thing in broadcast news. Yeah. You know, you obviously, if you're on a somber story, you don't want to be smiling through right. that. But yeah. but absolutely your personality and how you approach it and how you approach that news is so important. And there's a lot of pressure with it, especially when you're one of the anchors, mm-hmm. because viewers are very picky about things, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you, you, we would get emails that said, Hey, um, whoever cut Shaw's hair this time have him not do that because we don't like this style. (laughs) It was like, Oh my goodness, you're kidding me. You know? So we would have stuff like that all the time. Um, you know, that would come in here and there and you you get compliments too. you get both, you know, but absolutely smiling through things makes a whale of a difference when you're, reading stories on air
0: we'll come back with more with sean merrill talking about radio television and triplets it's all coming up right after this on radio guy reflections (laughs) it's the world of professional wrestling hi i'm dave Denton. i'm one of those lifelong fans Christopher Evans joins me and Zane Peterson as we talk about what's going on in the world of professional wrestling from a little bit different perspective than a lot of the podcasts out there. The
1: following contest is scheduled for
0: one We know what we like, and sometimes we talk about things we don't like. You stupid idiots! You might even find a chance to laugh at some of the things we do. Who are you
1: calling Rudy Tootie Booty?
0: It's Turnbook for Trash. It's available on many of these same podcast channels. Join us, Turbuckle Trash, are also on Facebook and TurbuckleTrash.net. Reflections. Too
1: many people in this business who think that they're, uh, I guess it's a podcast, their stuff doesn't stink. You know, it's just <laughs> like,
0: hey, look, we're all just enjoying the game. We're all just having a good time. Sports
1: are supposed to be fun. Don't take yourself too seriously. Let's go have a good time and really uh, paint a great picture for the fans out there. I wanted to be me. I didn't want to put on a show. But, uh, well, you know, I wanted to obviously a show, but I didn't want to be fake on the air. Um, what you what
0: you get is what you, you get. know, that would be a fascinating career. I, I want to witness history in a way and see it and tell the compelling stories of it. Uh, when did you find out uh, he is autistic? When
1: you get that diagnosis, It's not necessarily a shock to you, but it's validating how you've been feeling.
0: I can't imagine what the future of top radio could have
1: been, or would have been, had Rush not come along when he did.
0: This is Radio Guy Reflections. Now, I I did radio news a couple of different times, once in uh, Tennessee for WTPR. And then when I was in uh, mid-Missouri, when I was owning the station there for about seven years, I was basically the news department and writing a, a news for any market is difficult, but also can be very rewarding because you get sometimes you get a story that means a lot to you personally and that you're very proud of. I wanted to ask you maybe one or two of these stories that you reported on that mean a lot to you as you look back at your career.
1: I would say the one that sticks out to me the most was a story I did in Pocatello. It was actually in a little teeny town called Income, Income, Idaho. Uh You pass through it just before you enter into Pocatello. And if you don't look at the signs on the freeway, you would never even know you were passing through. Um, We were covering some political debates that night. And so I was actually at ISU. And we were covering a political debate between some candidates and I had, we used to have to carry a police scanner with us all the time so that we could monitor things that were going on. Well, I had turned it way down because you know, we're in, we're in this political debate and I didn't want to be disruptive. Well, at one point, all of a sudden I look down and see that this police scanner is going crazy so I stepped outside to listen to it, to figure out what was going on. Immediately grabbed my photographer, and we beelined for Income. What had happened was there was a little, uh, little league football. Uh, they were all about 12, 13, 14 years old, and they were practicing in the park at Income. And it was a mostly partly cloudy sky day. It wasn't really stormy. And out of nowhere, this little storm kind of rolled in and the coaches kind of thought didn't think much of it. And all of a sudden lightning struck and struck one of the kids and literally blew the entire offensive line off their feet and blew this kid like 10 feet off the line. And so we went down to cover this story. And, you know, I, I got there a little bit late because I was slow to to get the 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 scanner traffic and I got there and the ambulance was just leaving and I talked to the coaches and, and I put my story together. And, you know, at the time I wasn't thinking much of it because it was just a, you know, I'm, I'm covering the story of this horrific accident that happened. And, um, I put my story together. I put it on the news. I did my live shot and everything went smoothly. And the next day this, Well, I remember it was a few days later, uh, this kid's mother called and said, it might've been uh, like two weeks later, she called and she said, Hey, I want to thank you for your coverage of that story. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, you were the only reporter who reported on some of the most important stuff that happened in that story. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, do you remember talking about his assistant coach? And I said, yes. I said, I remember putting in the story that um, your son wasn't breathing and the coaches were performing CPR and the assistant coach was an 18 year old kid just turning 19 and he's holding this boy's head and he he thought in his head I got to say a prayer for this boy so he said a prayer and the boy took his first breath and so I put that in the story because I was like that's that's really cool they people need to know this experience happened, you know, as part of this whole thing. So I put it in the story, and she was like, You were the only one that even mentioned that, and we're very appreciative. And I said, Well, I said, Thank you. I, I appreciate that compliment. And she said, No, because of that, I want you guys to have the exclusive follow up story with him. Yes. And I said, Okay, w- what is that? And she said, He is coming back from the hospital in a couple of weeks, and I want you to come and do the follow up story and interview him. I said, Yeah, I would love to do that. And so we came back a couple of weeks later did the follow-up story with him which was a an incredible miraculous story um you know sometime when we have more time i could go through the whole thing but essentially what happened was this kid got struck by lightning through his helmet down through his pads and out his feet into the ground and um you would think oh he's dead there's no way he'll survive that he was rushed to the hospital third degree burns all sorts of stuff. Mm. And instead of getting worse, he kept progressing the whole time he was in the hospital, got flown to university of Utah burn center. And by the time he got home a month later and we were interviewing him, the only Mark left on his body was a little scar on his chest where one of the metal pins from his pads had burnt into his skin. Wow. And so it was a miraculous story. One of the most incredible fun stories I've ever been a part of when I was in working in TV news, but that by far is is one of my uh, favorite stories I ever I ever worked on.
0: And to have that parent uh, set you aside and, and call you and tell you what it meant to them, uh, I had a similar experience. Uh, I won't go through everything, uh, but I had a similar experience with a car train accident where some young people were killed, and one of the um, one of the parents of the one of the young men that was killed who I didn't know at the time, but I knew two of the kids that were killed. Uh, and she came up to me several years later and actually talked to me about my coverage of a very, just very heartbreaking oh. story. And yeah. to this day, I can think about it and tears come to my eyes. That has to be something special for you, Shaw. And I'm, I'm proud of you, man.
1: Well, thank you. But it, it taught me a lesson, though, and mm-hmm. that was it was a very valuable lesson that helped me throughout my career and has helped me sense. And that is in every experience, there's a human element. There's someone who is affected by that. Right. And so from every story there on forward, I would always look for, and I learned that in college, but you learn it in college and you go, Oh yeah, they called it. And when I was in college, they called it the pregnant eye story. Right. Meaning you start with, you know, Dave Denton is affected by this train wreck. Uh, because he lost his, you know, mother or whatever the story is. Right. And then you get into the meat of this train wreck happened because of this and this horrible thing happened. And then you bring it all back to that individual. And I learned that in college and you think, oh yeah, that's great. But until you start experiencing that in your job, doing stories like that, all of a sudden you realize, Wow. Yeah, the big story was this lightning strike happened and it had this huge effect on these kids and this little football team. But when you take it down to that personal level, all of a sudden, that's how your viewers will connect to a story, to what's happening in the news. And that really became a key for me in reporting and, and doing stories was I, I tried to find that human element. I tried to find who was it affecting, how how is it affecting um, so that I could personalize those stories more, not bias them, but personalize them to the level where, you know, you and I can relate to that.
0: Right. And, and that's what it's all about because just, you know, doing the who, what, when, where, and why, and how, uh, that's a- the basics. That. Yeah. Anybody can yeah. do that. But to be a good reporter, you need to have that little extra little something that you can do a little bit different. And I'm going to plug one of my other podcasts here real quick because I don't know if you've ever heard of the guy or not. You probably have heard of his brother who works at KSL in uh, in, uh, in Salt Lake City. Dan Rascone is the, the mm. reporter mm-hmm. in Salt Lake City. His brother, Art, I uh, actually gave him his first job in radio, believe it or not, so many <laughs> years ago in Rexburg, Idaho. Well, Art just recently retired after an incredible broadcasting career that went from Los Angeles to uh, New York to covering news for CBS Evening News, to going to the Vatican for the papal elections. Wow! To covering 9/11, and he was doing anchor in Houston, Texas until this past year. And I, I would take it as a personal favor if, if you would like to listen to that, you, you can find it on many of these same platforms. It's Art Rascone, and if you like stories about how a news story affects someone like an Art Rascone and even myself, because we were talking about that story I just told you about and how Mm -hmm. he, when he covered Oklahoma city, it is an incredible story of the human mind when you're trying to do a job and you know, you have to do it, but you want to do it right. And his name once again is Art Rascone. And I did that about, Oh, I think an early, January of this year, I think it was. So you might want to look that one up. So how long did you work in TV in Boise, Idaho?
1: So I worked there for a little over two years, Uh almost two and a half years. Uh Um, And, you know, you mentioned 9-11. I I was working in Boise when 9-11 happened. Okay. Anchoring the morning show. Yeah. I remember the morning that happened. We, we had done our morning show and, um, we we would pre-record all of our cut-ins to the national show, you know, like Good Morning America or the Today Show, that kind of a thing. Right. So they cut off to the local news. All of that for us was recorded and not done live. And so we recorded all those in the studio, went up to the newsroom upstairs, and we, we walked into the newsroom, and everybody is standing looking at the TVs, and we thought, what in the world is going on? Because in the newsroom, we're down in the studio, we don't have anything to see what's going on and we get up there and one of the planes had had already hit and everybody in the newsroom just sat there just staring, not moving, speaking, doing anything, just staring at the TVs in disbelief. And then all of a sudden, after a few minutes, we all realized, Oh my gosh, we've got to do some stories. We've got to, there's some things that are going to be happening. Planes are going to be routed here and things. And so then we all, went on our separate ways to do stories. But that was an incredible warning when that, that event
0: happened. And didn't you find yourself wanting to find that local angle, something that was going to show how this national and world event was going to affect everyone in Boise, Idaho Absolutely. And, and, and Ada County? Uh, because that na- national world event affected each and every one of us in horrible, horrible ways. And in the news media, I think we all took it upon ourselves to say, we've got to get this right and we've got to be positive, but we've got to show how it's going to affect us financially and also family-wise because people were missing from all parts of the county. And, of course, you know some people from Cache Valley that were killed uh, at the Pentagon and and, uh, things like that. Uh, I just was wondering, did everyone huddle up together and, and start assigning news, or were you all looking for your own uh, little angles?
1: No, we huddled up as a team and uh, had a discussion about what we were going to do. My assignment was to go to the airport and do a story with those passengers who were rerouted and, right. and forced to land in Boise and, and how it was going to affect them. Unreal. So that was my my angle of the story, and I was actually at the airport when the second tower went down. So, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting, but you know, you talk about art and art rest going on all of these, these individuals that have been so influential in media. And there's a few of those that, you know, I looked at one of them is one who helped me get my first job in TV news. And that was John Hollenhorst at uh, KSL. I don't know if you remember him from back in the day, but he was a tremendous storyteller. Uh, for the news. And I remember Keith Frank, my boss there in Pocatello, asked me a question. Do you have an influential reporter? Is there someone you look to as an example? And I said, yeah, John. I said, he's he's an amazing storyteller and I love the way he does it. And, and I want to learn and, and become a reporter like that. And he said, perfect answer. He says <laughs> that's my favorite too, so let's, oh, yeah. let's do this. So that, well, you, was, that was one of the things that helped me get my
0: job. You made a very important point just in the last minute or so. Our job we call ourselves news reporters, disc jockeys, announcers, <laughs> but we are when you get right down to the end of it, we're storytellers. Yes, we either tell the story of the news, we tell the story of the radio station, the TV station or what's happening in our area, we are telling that story. And it's something that I think we get too much into the, how am I saying this correctly? I think we as a business sometimes get into the X's and O's a little bit too much and forget, forget about the, 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 the aspect of telling that story that is going to be so important. It's going to connect with our audience and, I know it's a business and sometimes business, you know, you got to make business decisions. So I'm not complaining there, but I just think it's something that is missing a little bit in today's uh, broadcast industry.
1: I I agree. There's still some individuals who are out there doing a very good job with that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it really is an art. It's really an art. It's, it's, it's your ability to write and then, present that in in that form and i think it's you know you can learn it and but so much of it is is built into to who you are as a person and how you right. want to present tale. that information yeah
0: so you're you're working in boise and your contract's coming up did you try to stay in broadcasting or did you decide at this point that it might be time to to try to get out there and make enough money to defeat to, to a family huh <laughs>
1: Well, uh, that is an interesting, interesting question.
0: Okay. Um,
1: So there was a a few things that led up to what am I going to do? Um, I met with the station manager um, to renew my contract. And his comment to me at the time, I was anchoring the weekend show. I'd been promoted to weekend anchor. And at the time, he, I sat down with him and said, I need more money to stay here to support my family. And his response to me was, why would I do that when I can hire any one of 20 guys behind you for less than I'm paying you?
0: Isn't that the truth?
1: And, and I said, well, if that's how we're going to feel about it, then um, I don't know that I want to be a part of that. If there's no loyalty to your employees I don't know if I want to be a part of that. I didn't necessarily word it that way to him. Right. I understand. And so it was, you know, that, and then there was a couple of things that happened in covering some stories where I just got a little bit disenchanted with TV news. And I learned very quickly that TV news is not news. It's really, um, entertainment. And what are we selling? We're selling, we're selling the news. It's a product. And that became very clear one day when, um, I was, uh, we had overnight, um, a sheriff's deputy had been shot and killed. And so that was our big news story for the day. So we got together and we, um, talked about, okay, what angles are we going to do? What story are we going to do? Who's doing what, who's going where, uh, just like you normally would. And my news director looked at me and he said, "Uh, your job is to go out to uh, the area where this happened and you are to get someone crying on camera. And I said, well, what, but what's the story? What's the angle? And he said, I don't care. We need to get emotion on camera about this event and that will get us viewers. So that's your job. And I said, no, that's not my job. I'm not here to get people crying on camera. I'm here to tell the news. And I, I, did not enjoy that. And it Mm. really kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. And so, and, and, you know, up until that point, we had been working like crazy, um, you know, in TV news and in radio, as you know, Mm. you put in a lot of long hours and you work weekends and you work holidays and you don't, you know, getting time off is a little harder because I've got to find someone to fill your slot on air. Um, you know, you can't just leave on a whim to go do something. And so All of that kind of combined. And my wife and I sat down and said, do we really want to continue doing this? Do we want to move our kids to bigger and bigger cities so that I can make a living to support us? Mm -hmm. And we decided at that time, no, I don't think we want to do that. And so I started to pursue other opportunities and options outside Mm -hmm. of broadcast journalism. And the first job I got outside of uh, broadcast news was as a public information officer for a local public health department up there in Idaho. And so I went to work for the public health department, which was a little different and very interesting. Yeah. So yeah.
0: So uh, let's talk about uh, your family. I mean, uh, you're now working for a completely different company. Uh, We'll talk about that that business in a little bit, but you've been married, I believe 27 years, if if I'm not mistaken. And you told me you yep. have five children. You have I do. Uh, the oldest boy. You have a girl, and then you had triplets. Yeah. That. Oh, no problem.
1: Just pick my boys up, and the radio just went on.
0: <laughs> you know how you know how the radio is. Yeah. Say hi to the boys. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So
1: speaking of radio okay <laughs> that's
0: hilarious so uh your your oldest boy is is married you told me your uh your oldest daughter is uh studying to be a nurse uh, an r n mm-hmm. and then you have the triplets
1: the triplets yes. what
0: happened when you and Carrie were told you were having not one not two but three babies.
1: Uh, my wife literally passed out. <laughs> <laughs> so, it um, you know, without going into too much detail, um, she it was a high risk pregnancy b- pregnancy before we were told we were having triplets because right. of other things that were happening.
0: Correct.
1: And so the doctors were monitoring pretty closely when we got pregnant, mm-hmm. and so she went in for one of her first kind of official appointments. Um, at like, uh, I think it was 12 weeks. And she told me at the time, she said, you don't need to come with me. It's just the first appointment. They're not doing anything really. It's just, you know, kind of paperwork, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, you know, I'll, I'll go to work. She wanted me to just go to work. And I said, okay. So I went to work and, um, the next thing I know I'm at work and the phone rings and she's on the phone and she is hysterical. And I'm like, you know, what's going on? She's like, you got to get up here right now. And I said, okay, I'm coming. I'm on my way. I'm trying to stay calm. And in my head, I'm thinking, oh, she's lost the baby. She's had a miscarriage. You know, what are we going to do? How are we going to deal with this? And then she just yells in the phone, there's three. Get up here right now. Did you hear me? I said, there's three. And she's yelling at me on the phone. And I'm like, holy cow, everybody in my office can hear. And they're like, what is going on? I hung the phone up and I said I have no idea I said all I know is she said there's three I am leaving to go to the doctors and I'm probably not coming back today and I walked out the door Wow. (laughs) and I got up there and she told me that the doctor who's a good friend of ours was like I want to do an ultrasound I just want to do an ultrasound so he did an ultrasound on her and immediately there was two when he started the ultrasound and then he kept looking around and said, oh, yep, there's the third one. And when he found the third one, she started to hyperventilate and literally passed out there on the table while he was doing the ultrasound. Unreal. So she was so overwhelmed with the thought of taking care of three kids.
0: And how old, are, how old are these uh, these youngsters now?
1: They just barely turned 16.
0: Oh, they all wanted cars. Holy cow. Yeah, they're <laughs> not getting them.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> is that the boys in the background there uh, yeah that's that. He's like, Yo.
1: yeah they they just turned 16 two days ago and uh they start driver's ed here in a couple of weeks
0: that's awesome
1: we'll start driving and then it'll get really crazy around our house so
0: so that had to put a, a lot of strain on on the family i mean you have two older children And they have to deal with that, too. You and Carrie have to deal with that. But luckily, you had family in the area. How much did you rely on your two oldest children and your uh, outside family to help you get through this situation with triplets? We, We
1: couldn't have done it without our older kids being as helpful and understanding as they were, or our neighbors being so helpful, or her parents, her mom helping out so much. There's absolutely no way, you know. They say it takes a, a village to raise a child, and I absolutely believe that with, with these boys because there's no way we could have done it without the help of all of these individuals around
0: us. That that's so cool, Shaw. I also wanted to uh, to talk about so, uh, your current position, where you're working. It says, uh, mar- uh, marketing and inside sales for the Automation Products Group. I I remember I went in radio for a reason. Uh, The Automation Products Group. Tell us what uh, APG does.
1: So Automation Products Group is a manufacturing company, and we manufacture level and pressure sensors. That's the easiest way to describe it. Um, Most people have seen or used something that has used our sensors and not even known it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, as we've discussed before, if you've had an IV in you for some procedure, the IV drip was most likely calibrated using one of our digital pressure gauges. Wow. If you've been into a, an automatic car wash, um, you've probably seen one of our sensors and not even known it because it's in the big archway that's there. And it's, it's there to determine where your vehicle is out, so the br- at so the brushes don't hit your vehicle. So you've got all sorts of different types of sensors like that that are going into all sorts of different types of applications.
0: Well, it must work because I was in the hospital in March, uh, very ill, and and I had eight different antibiotics being pumped into me intravenously at one time. So they must work because uh, I'm, I'm still here. So you do yeah, good work. Well, you good. do good work. So. That's good.
1: I'm so <laughs> do
0: you get to travel or is this a, mainly, uh, an office job?
1: I used to travel a bit with it. Uh, take a five, six, seven trips a year. Um, in the last, you know, when COVID hit, right. um, trade shows, I used to travel for <laughs> trade shows and to visit some customers here and there. Um, but when COVID hit, all of that came to a halt mm-hmm. and I, I don't travel anymore really at all, which is which is kinda nice.
0: Right.
1: I, I enjoyed the travel. I enjoyed getting out and visiting our customers and, and seeing them face to face. but it's nice, you know, being able to head into the office and head home at night and, and be there to take my boys to baseball practice or, you know, whatever needs to be done. So it's kinda nice to, to be around here all the time.
0: Well you can tell the boys they'd better be Saint Louis Cardinal baseball fans because I'm a big <laughs> Cardinal fan but they can't they can't <laughs> like the Cubs by any means. But uh wish my, them old, the best. my
1: my oldest is a San Francisco Giant
0: fan. So. Oh, that's cool though. That that's pretty cool. Yeah. So uh Shaw uh, quickly I'll let you get back to your family and your boys. Uh but I wanted to wish you the best. And I tried a couple of times to get you to do some voice work for the radio stations I was working for. Yeah. And I think I there was that. some some bad blood because you worked with me at the Giant. I'll just tell you that I, that yeah, that's uh, okay. Yeah, because I, really I really did. I really wanted. Yeah. Go ahead.
1: I loved working with you at the Giant.
0: Well, the feeling is completely mutual. Uh, that time was one of the best times of my life uh, because of people like you and Sherry and Kayleen and Scotty, where we all worked together yeah. for a a better product. And I, like I said. Being a standalone FM in a you know small to medium market, uh, there were times when we out outbuild some of the other stations in we in did. the town, and you know there were some mistakes made that it led. Was to, awesome. Yeah, but overall it was just a wonderful time.
1: One of the, one of the funny stories I like is uh, with Scotty G. Um, he actually got his start on air because I got married and went on a honeymoon.
0: Oh, I remember. Do you remember that? that? Yes.
1: So I went on my honeymoon, and he filled in on air, and that started his on-air uh, career, which was kind of funny.
0: Well, you know, when uh, when Scotty was uh, working with us, and we were in that second floor um, near the Golden Corral in the north end of Logan? Yes. And I remember one day walking out with him. Well, that particular day, I was wearing a, a black uh, long-sleeve um, turtleneck, basically, And I was wearing a a cap, like a driver's cap, but I had it turned backwards. And Scotty told me uh, later that I scared him to death because we were walking down the steps. And I was just talking to him, and he says, if this man really wanted to kill me, he really could right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was so much bigger than him, but, you know, he's he's a Uh good-sized guy, and he does such a good job with Utah he's State phenomenal. Athletics. He is phenomenal. He does a great
1: job in, in everything he's involved in the radio right now. He's,
0: he's another one he's of great. those that listened to not only what I said, and I've said this right to Scott myself, and I'll, I'll say it again, Scott listened to others in the industry but also mm-hmm. made his own style, and that's why I'm proud of all you guys that I've worked with. You didn't just take me as the gospel. You took me as a, a learning tool, and that's the way it should be because we can learn something from everyone in this industry. There's not one Absolutely. cut and dry way to do this. Well, Absolutely. Sean, I have just enjoyed this to no end. I know you've got to get your kids home and fed, and probably oh, at 16 years old, those kids can eat a lot a bit, huh?
1: <laughs> well, we go through a bit, a bit of milk here and
0: there. I bet you do. And anybody who's listening to this, I'm telling you, David Denton, this guy is one of the best, if not the best, because he's that good of a guy, and he's that good at what he does. Anytime your name comes up, the first thing that always happens is people just, they, they get that biggest grin on their face. It was it was your tutoring and mentoring initially that helped me so much.
1: You're uh, you are a pro's pro, and, and you're as good as they come, not as just a broadcaster, but as a human being as well, and I owe you so much of uh, of everything that's uh, good that's happened to me professionally, really comes back to you and and your mentorship and your friendship. The creation of Out to the Radio guy really started with you and uh, I, uh, your help and your advice and feeling to be there for me when I call is something I'll never ever uh, ever take for granted. And I greatly appreciate it.
0: You had a, you've had an incredible impact on on so many people. And that's Radio Guy Reflections, a podcast about radio and the people behind the microphone. In future podcasts, we'll look at what makes a successful and sometimes a train wreck of a radio show. As we say in the radio business, if you put that on the radio, people will listen to it. We'll talk with people who started in radio and moved on to success in other fields. Radio Guy Reflections, we'll be back soon with another show about radio and the men and women who produce the radio programs you've loved to listen to. Radio Guy Reflections is a production of Dave's Voice Works.